listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, where, unlike our West Coast counterparts, we enjoy Christmas evening immensely. Well, just that, you know, Northern California probably didn't enjoy the latter half of it. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode 541. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the Netflix mystery series, Bodies. We are recording on Boxing Day here in the States, uh... I have no idea what Boxing Day actually is. Um, I would, Alan, help us yeah, out here, right. dude. <laughs> yeah, I think I, or, I looked it up before and couldn't really come find like a, a really convincing answer. But you know, yeah. Now Scott should know. He his wife is British. Anyway, yeah. Among all our listeners out there, tell us what Boxing Day is. Just regardless, take gloves and go beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> I guess. But uh, so, dude, uh, you had an eventful Christmas night. If you want to, yeah, briefly tell well, your story. I, you know, this happened to me like five years ago, where I just, um, I don't know. Like, I, I there's some with my esophagus. I think where. You know, this is now the second time that I've had a piece of food like get stuck in my esophagus and uh, <laughs> won't go down. So that uh, requires me to go into the emergency room to to help them. And the first time it happened, they actually had to do an endoscopy, but this time they were just gave me some medicine and a couple of Coca Colas, and it was washed down. So that was nice not to have to get put under or have to stay the night or anything there. So. But, um, yeah, so I got an upcoming uh, date with my gastroenterologist and uh, internologist. I, I can never pronounce that word right. My GI doctor. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, maybe he'll be able to help me get this sorted out this time. Last time he said that there was nothing wrong, and clearly I don't think that's the case. But well, so. well, I guess the key thing is, did they save you any food for when you returned? I wasn't really interested in eating um, okay. after that, but... Uh, um, mom did, uh, you know, give us some turkey and stuff to take home. So I was nibbling on the turkey a little bit, but I know I'm, I'm still a little uh, nervous about going back to the, the turkey just now. So. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, yeah, we go to my wife's brother's house, which is about 25 minutes away. And every year he makes this humongous size and taste lasagna, which, uh, you know, like most people – at least on the east coast christmas dinner is ham turkey generally something like that which is of course how i was brought up and my wife's family was brought up sounds like your family so whatever caused him to decide he was going to make lasagna for christmas dinner dude it was a great choice So, uh, awesome. you know, and, and, and I guess as I get older, I have more restraint, uh, as many pieces of it, I want to eat, I, I, I back off. And fortunately I did that. Uh, I guess I wasn't paying attention when he was offering lasagna to take home. So oh, well, you, unfortunately, yeah, you gotta but, be on uh, top of that next year, man. But, uh, anyway, yeah. And we hadn't uh, obviously been together for, I guess three or four years because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was nice to get everybody together. I mean, we see her family. They're all close by. But uh, anyway, speaking about family, if you guys in the S, kind of can't remember what the acronym is, uh, sci-fi TV <laughs> watch. Uh, you family still got lasagna wanna, in the brain now. You can't. I'm telling you. Um, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us with any feedback if you would like to do that. All right. Um, what are we watching? You want to go ahead and go first this time? Sure. Um, so I'll start off with last night uh, after I got home and after I watched the Ravens stomp on the San Francisco 49ers, I watched the new Doctor Who special. That was what you got was first solo mission. And, um, you know, I liked it a lot. You know, I, I, I really uh, felt... Um, like I said, I, I think the, uh, the with the return of RTD, um, I think he's the, the the writing is stronger than it's been in the last uh, couple seasons. And uh, and Chigawa is he's for real. You know, we knew he was. Um, you know, we were anticipating him and and uh, you know liked him a lot in Sex Education and and just felt like he was going to knock it out of the park and. Of course, the doctor just got a little bit more, you know, gravitas to him. But then again, there's this 
You can see his doctor is going to be a little bit different too, and, and as far as a little bit, uh, you know, he was like dancing on a on a rave dance floor and everything, and the kilt and everything like that. So, just things like that, uh, you know, shows uh, put his own mark on the character. So, great start for for uh, young Chuyigawa. Okay, now you know. I assumed that you were going to watch it whether you know late last night after the game or you know maybe sometime today and, and I, I don't think most of us had any doubt that Shudigatwa was gonna be great my question is what do you think of the new companion um you know i thought yeah you know I, I really she seemed fine you know like i don't know like she didn't really i don't know if she really kind of stuck out as you know as being other than a person in peril type for, for this one episode. But, uh, you know, we'll probably, I, th- I thought she did, a, you know, like she did a great job. She wasn't, like, you know, there wasn't, I didn't watch and think, oh man, this, this, this girl's terrible, but, uh, oh, okay. You know. I, I haven't seen it yet. I was just curious. Oh, okay. I mean, I just, I, there's, I, I don't, I don't think she just had much to go with necessarily in this specific episode, but she's definitely, you know, she she definitely brought forth a character that um, has a lot of heart and uh, spunk to her. So, okay, all right. So I think looking she'll forward be to checking it out. Yeah. All right. Um, you got anything else, or is um, that gonna... you know, I do, but I'll I've, I've talked about Doctor Who long enough. I think we nope. the okay. the other things I I will uh, I can talk about next week. Okay. Now, speaking of the UK and the Brits, we finished the final season of The Crown, which was really good. Uh, Again, without going into the details, and obviously uh, spoilers don't apply here, except in the sense that they bring back a couple of the actors from earlier seasons. Uh, If you know The Crown, which I know you don't really, uh, six seasons and every two seasons, they update right. the actors playing the characters. So we had Matt Smith as Prince Philip and Claire Foy as Prince Elizabeth, uh, as Queen Elizabeth in season one. And what they do in you know the final episode is bring back a couple of the characters. And and I don't want to go into any kind of spoiler uh, territory, but it, you know if you're a Crown fan. And you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But the other thing, you'll be proud of me, dude. I uh, ventured into uh, movie land. Okay. And we checked out Bradley Cooper's biopic, Maestro, which follows the career and life of composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. That sounds cool. Yeah. Well, it's on Netflix. All right. Uh, so um, sure, you'll, you'll run across it at some point. It was really, really good. Carrie Mulligan plays his wife. Okay. And of course, she came to prominence through Doctor Who and, and, and the iconic episode Blink. And it's funny, I, I ran across an interview she did maybe a month or so ago. And the interviewer asked her specifically, if you were given the opportunity, would you want to revisit Sally Sparrow? And she's like, oh my gosh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, she said, I wouldn't want to necessarily come back to Doctor Who in some other capacity, but the chance to play that character again, uh, it was just so nice to hear yeah, awesome. somebody say that. Uh, you know, somebody who that was, I don't know if you'd say that was her big break in the industry. Maybe. Uh, it was certainly very early in her career, but she's just wonderful. But, and I don't know what it's called. Uh, we used to do it uh, at, at department meetings when our department head would say, I need somebody to, and everybody would put their index finger on their nose, yeah. <laughs> right? not me. Yeah. And my wife and I are kind of like, anytime we're thinking the same thing <laughs> as we're watching something. And she starts to say something. She's like, Bradley, and I immediately put my finger, I knew exactly what she was going to say. And that's it. I forgot that was actually an actor and not Leonard Bernstein for real. And as great as Carrie Mulligan was in this role, I always knew it was Carrie Mulligan and that's fine. 
that's how great a job Bradley Cooper yeah. does in this movie. Yeah, and, and he also, yeah, he also wrote it and directed it. Oh, um, okay. And Bradley Cooper, for me, uh, I, I became acquainted with him in Alias, in, in the early seasons of Alias. Really? When he was, yeah, he was Jennifer he was Garner's best friend. Oh. And, and of course, she had him in the friend zone, and he certainly was hoping for otherwise. But uh, yeah, he was a great character. And he, you know, we get to see him without his shirt quite a bit in that first season. So uh, that, you know, that's where I became acquainted with him. Okay. But anyway, all right. Well, let's get on to Bodies, episode yeah. three of season one, titled All in Good Time, written once again by Paul Tomlin, directed by Marco Cruz Paintner. The series was released October 19th, 2023. You know, I was thinking, wh- why don't we just kind of run through quickly the different years and, and, and some of the items? Because full disclosure, I started rewatching the rest of the episodes because... Okay. I guess I just feel like there's so many things that I don't remember that I should remember, especially since we're, that was kind of the point of doing it this way. And there were a lot of things you remembered that, you know, at least you could bring it to everybody's attention, but Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm only on episode seven at this point. So I'm a little bit about a quarter of the way through seven and I still have the finale. So, um, so we'll see, but uh, the opening scene in this episode takes us to 1890 and Hillinghead and Ash are heading to the cane maker to see if they can then identify the owner of the cane. And, you know, a, a, as we listen to them deduce as much as they know, well, the guy's got a limp in his right leg because he holds the cane in his left, or it might be the other way around. Um, you know, they could see the the, the head of the cane. They, they see the uh, impression in the dirt in the alleyway. Well, of course, we learn later on why he's got the limp, and and that's because he gets shot, right? You know, right before he goes through. So now, I guess the one thing I'm wondering, uh, you know, obviously he's found naked in the uh, in the lane and taken to the hospital, and I guess I started thinking, it's like, well, when the doctor extracted the bullet, you know, because this is like a a, a future bullet. Did he not like, hmm, this is an unusual bullet. I wonder if I should, uh, you know, send this over to the police department. But I guess they didn't do it. Well, okay. Yeah, because I don't remember. Did they, Was there a bullet to extract? Oh, right. Because, well, now, but the thing about Defoe's bullet, I, I guess it's because everything happens simultaneously as he's going through. Is it that the bullet can't go through? And it's just the body, and that's why the clothes. So the clothes would be like the bullet. Yeah, I don't. I, I was, you know, non-organic objects right. can't go through. Okay, so maybe that's it. Now, of course, would they say, "Well, there's no exit wound on your leg"? Uh, yeah, whatever. We'll patch you up, and you're on your way. <laughs> right. And, which, which I guess makes sense. Um, but you know, we, we also learn in this episode how it is that he comes to become julian harker right was it a little too easy well they just describe it now and i think in the next episode we actually see how he how he managed to do it right yeah i mean i mean he sees the plaque on the hospital wall you know dedicated to the memory of you know sir julian harker and all of that i mean what makes him think that Julian Harker's mother would be so distraught that she's willing to take a stranger in under the guise of being her son. Now, again, we learn, you know, well, not surprisingly. I, well, go ahead. Well, I would just say the simple answer is because he knows that's how it rolls out. Well, well, yeah, and you know, and that's still one of those problematic things I have with time loops. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, you, you had said that one of the things you were hoping to see as we did this rewatch, is there a starting point that we can really hone in on? And, and so far, yeah, I don't know, not, 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 not really. found it yet. No, no. Yeah. But, but I think what we learn in the later episode is that 
he talks to Mrs. Harker, and they both acknowledge, you're not my son. Did you know my son? No. Did you kill my son? No. He said, but I can make you a rich woman, right? Because, of course, like uh, Matthew Kellogg in Continuum, Matthew Kellogg makes his fortune because he knows what to bet on. He knows what stocks to buy, what, you know, Super Bowl winners to to bet on and all of that. And that's, of course, what happens with Mannix once he assumes the identity of Sir Julian Harker. And he, he says, and I'll love you. So, you know, the whole genesis of the know you are loved. Yeah. Okay. Now, again, I guess you could argue, well, he's coming from that. So the know you are loved is already in place. I, I, anyway, it makes your brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's it, it is a loop, and like I said, like we're we're trying to find some you know prime mover in this, but I don't think we're going to be successful in that. I think ultimately a lot of the answers to our th- questions, like this, is like, well, what gave him the confidence? What made him think that he'd be able to pull this ridiculous scheme off? Well, the answer is like because it had already worked, right? That's how things happened in the first place. And he knew that. Like, he, he told that to himself. He told himself how everything's going to shake out. So, um, But there had to be a first time, right? Or no. I mean, I guess that's the thing with these causal loops. Yeah, right? Um, yeah. Like, who, who knows? You know? yeah, and yeah. even in the end, I don't... I, I, when we get to the very end, I don't know if we really have any kind of answer as to whether the loop is what it's been quote unquote broken or not, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But, um, but yeah, like still that's, that's a, you know, that's a, and, and on top of that, he, you know, he's got, I mean, Fred had the, was wondering, I think it was Fred that uh, was wondering, you know, is the seance, is that like legit or is, you know, Lady Harker, in on it and i think the answer is obviously she's in on it like she's not receiving any messages from you know the the supernatural uh you know the and i think the, the whole spiritualism and seances and stuff like that was pretty much debunked you know back in the t- day even today it's like a you know kind of a, a stereotype of of the you know the the fake medium and everything like that so clearly you know she he put her up to this to start spelling out to spell out defoe and and here's where i I believe fred i believe this is where you're wrong because yes absolutely when he he says who killed uh the man she spells out ma and fred said that that was for manix but it's not it's for maplewood she's the one who who, uh, shoots gabriel so Right, and, and not only is Lady Harker in on it, you have to assume that uh, Knievel or whatever his name is, uh, the 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 minister is in on it as oh, well. Yeah. And he, you know, right? They're all in yeah. on it, right? Now, on the other hand, you think, oh, wait a minute, you're you're okay thinking time travel is a thing, but somehow a seance yeah, isn't right, possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. So 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 you know, we're, we're we're but but we're given pause that way. Even accepting time travel as a thing, everything the way you explained it, it is the only thing that makes any sense, of course. And 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 again, well, why would they do it? Because you've given them money. Yeah. Why Why would he not? And 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 I don't want to imply that everybody can be bought, but that phrase that well, everybody has a price. It didn't become a thing yeah <laughs> no well yeah i was i exaggerate it, it, to a point yeah uh and, that, and that's the the thing because really and we had i had said we had said early on that you know basically all of this this whole you know this whole vision of the future that harker slash mannix has is based on a young boy who you know does not feel loved um, and so who was actually then willing to go back in time in order to create love for himself, right? That he doesn't feel that he has. But then the ironic part of it is it's all transactional, right? Like it is. It's basically he, he buys, you know, he buys the love. 
um, even from Polly, right? That's that's not legit. I, I think. Am I right? Yeah, you know that's a strange one. That that's one of those things that that I, I I'm still trying to wrap my head around because even though the actress that plays young Polly is probably like close to 30. Right. Uh, we assume she's supposed to be like 17 or 18, something like yeah. that. Enough that even the first time, like really he's her dad. Like, yeah. uh, okay, I'll, I'll accept it, but come on. Well, well, no, I mean, Polly getting together with Harker. Yeah, but I was just saying like, the, I was commenting on like the, the the actress playing young Polly being obviously older than she's supposed to be, and Hillinghead, who is probably uh, much actually younger than the character he's playing. So the the fact of the two actors being a father and daughter um, does not like quite. My brain really kind of just won't accept it, you know? Okay. Well, I guess what I'm referring to, and I, I know you know this, is just that, you know, she's an attractive, vivacious young woman. Why would you be attracted to this guy who looks older than your father? You know, your father is like a uh, nice, he's in shape. He, uh, anyway, but the allure of money, maybe? I mean, she doesn't seem like that, but it's... yeah. You know, we haven't seen a ton of her, so uh, whatever. But that's again, like I said before, I can't one hundred percent remember. I know that there there's a a point where she reaches like decision kind of crisis point, right? And she decides to 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 stick with you know Harker. Um, But it it was like not something that came naturally to her, you know. But I, I can't remember exactly how that was so that's another thing i'm kind of again looking forward to i'm like to see that and to reminded how that played out how he was able to get her to be on board but if i remember as they're older like she still is not like you know like i think she's the one who ends up kind of running the show with this thing if i remember correctly but as we see in 1940 obviously she is because she's the one running whiteman right right now, as soon as Hillinghead gets to the seance and Harker offers him refreshment, we're like, no, Dude, do not, don't. Do not drink that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and of course he does. And, you know, it's to knock him out. They set him up with another man for a, a blackmail photograph. And then Harker, know you are loved. And, and it's just cringeworthy. And one of the things that that you struggle with with this series is the question about Mannix's motives in in, in building this utopia where no one feels alone, that that everybody is loved. And, you know, did it just go off the rails at some point? And is that a point that we just don't really get to see in these eight episodes? Or is he just this megalomaniac? that you know fine you know what's driving him is that he wasn't loved but he could give two craps whether anybody else you know feels love and acceptance and self-worth so we never get that answer but people out there if we get a season two you might be able to address that but yeah i don't think there's any plans at all for the season but it is telling i think well, not necessarily telling but funny that Netflix refers to this as season one, you know. Yeah, I know. So I don't, I don't, I don't think we're, okay. we're getting that season two, though. Uh, right. Now, um, I think it's Fred that brings up something about the bow tie scene, and I was going to go ahead and leave that until uh, Fred's feedback, if you know what I'm mm-hmm. referring to. Second, we see 2023, and you know Hassan returns home. <laughs> it's kind of a funny scene. You got the two police guards outside, and they're eating something. She's like, "Oh, that's you know." Yeah. She says what the name of the food is, but her father's specialty. And they're like, you know, sheepish little kids that got caught. Yeah, he made um, us do it, right? <laughs> yeah, and she's like, "That's cool." But she finds Elias in her son's bedroom, 
desperate to get her to listen. And and again, this is one of those things. It's like, they're going to make me say I did it. Well, how? You know, we get how Mannix brings Lady Harker on board. And, you know, you were just mentioned about, well, you know, what does Harker do to bring young Polly on board? But how do they get 15-year-old Mannix, uh, 15-year-old Elias Mannix, to buy into this? Yeah. That, that, that That this really makes sense. You're going to detonate a bomb that's going to kill hundreds of thousands of people, and somebody's going to make you do it. And I, I, I don't – how do you – I mean, is it really like Stockholm syndrome where he's essentially become the prisoner of his adoptive parents? Uh, and I don't mean literally because yeah. they do let him go out. Right. But I think that certainly that seems like that's a big part of it, right? Um, he, as we see here, he struggles with this, right? He's not on board. And I think that's why... Um, Hassan is so central to this. She's the one that's going to get him to do it, right? This kid who is struggling with it, who doesn't want to kill people, right? He doesn't want to. Yeah. He doesn't want to do it. He he wants to make the quote unquote right decision, but it's you know it's Sarah who's going to get him to make that decision. Uh, not Sarah, not Sarah. Sorry, Hassan. You know, and I, I think what she, right is what she does is when she takes him to to his mother's right and she won't open the door and then i think that is then what precipitates him you know pulling out the phone and setting off the bomb and everything you know right and, and you know that that trigger point no pun intended is that it is that really what is the beginning of the loop i mean the mother simply not opening the door to at least acknowledge her son so i don't know but it's, it's clearly a, a pivotal scene yeah. in this episode for sure yeah yeah if if there is a point if we're going to give a sign a starting point to all of this that's probably as good a, as any of them but yeah. though it's still to get to that point right required everything else to have already happened so true you know true yeah, and, and you know we've talked about Barber and his role in all of this, and and at this point we don't know that Barber is Elias's biological father. Um, so when you look back, knowing what we know later, when Barber basically tells his son, "Just accept Elias's admission of guilt and let's get on with it." And we're thinking like, well, okay, why would he do that? Now, on the other hand, you know, my wife and I have just seen dozens, probably were over a hundred of these crime dramas. And I can't tell you how often uh, the the chief just says, just wrap things up, uh, get a conviction and right. let's move on, you know, whatever. So knowing what we know now, does he just want to get, Elias sent to a prison where he's got people on the inside there as well. And so he, again, looking back, it's, it, it's sort of strange to, or, or does he simply want to get Hassan more invested in Elias? And he figures this is a way to do it. I'm going to say he's guilty. Let's, you know, get him into juvie and move on to the next case because he knows Hassan and she, he knows how good a person she is. And, and it, it, she tells, and again, I forget whether it's in this episode or the, or the later one where she tells Elias, I became a police officer so that I could help young people like you. You know, I, I, I guess it's just that now, again, you're going to say, well, Barbara knows what to do because right. this is always what he does. And this is always the result. So, well, and that's like Barbara. It's just so, cause like that is definitely a character I'm looking at because that, like when that, when we found out that he was involved in it, I was just like, what the everlasting, you know? 
Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm trying to see, like, are there really signs of it? And there's just really not, you know, like they really, he does exactly what someone who is not in on it would appear to want to do. Like, if he were in on it, you would think he would want Elias to be free, right? Elias sure. can't be in jail. If he can't set up the bomb, if he's in jail, right? So, right. by all appearances, Barbara is completely on the level and is not involved with this at all. And is just looking out for, you know, he's, he's properly pissed off about the death of his, um, of his officer. There, there's nothing about him that appears like he's in on it, but he totally is. And, and like you said, then why does he do the things he does? Well, because this is how it's supposed to play out, right? He, he's just running the script. You know, he's doing what he's been told. This is exact because he knows, right? He knows exactly what how things are going to work out and what his role is in this. And for 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 Elias to 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 choose to to set off that bomb, here's what he has to do, right? And and I guess when you look at what he tells Hassan about what the barbers told him, you're kinder than they said you'd be did they simply build her up to be this monster? And then when she isn't a monster that, you know, that, that he buys into her trying to help him and, you know, yeah. go from there. Well, and then that actually, this makes me think of something. Well, first of all, shout out to Michael Gibson who plays Barber. Like I said, the fab- fabulous acting job in this, uh, in a, and the character is probably one of, I think, one of the more, more complex characters in the, in the show. Um, <clears throat> but also, um, he was uh, George the Third in in Hamilton. He played uh, George the Third. He actually won, I guess, an Olivier Award for that. So um, I've been wanting to met, shout that out for uh, like now a couple episodes now. So there you go, Michael Gibson. Well done. But the, you know the, the whole idea that now that we're talking about like. This requires Elias to make a choice, right? Like, that's the thing. He's being led into making a choice of his own free will and not – he's not running a script, right? Um, he, he's he been told what he's going to do, but he doesn't want to do it. He's struggling with it. So it it, it comes down to him, which he does one time. He will make the choice – to kill everyone and then ultimately he will make the choice to not kill everyone and therefore end his own existence either way it comes down to this 15 year old kid you know freely making his choice of of what he wants to do right and i i guess the idea is that you're you're just building up i guess this is sort of oxymoronic but you're building up this kid's lack of self-esteem to ultimately get him to detonate the bomb. And, and of right. course, um, but him you know, to be you. so feel so um, removed from the rest of the human race. Right. Sure. Right. That yeah. to think that the only way he'll ever experience love is by making the decision to kill hundreds of thousands of people, which he, he says that number in this episode. So he knows well in advance that what exactly what's going to happen now we don't see much of 2053 and 1941 but the scene in 2053 that i find fascinating is when maplewood takes defoe to see his double in the icu and as he walks closer to the bed his injured self goes into cardiac arrest and dies and and i can't remember if i mentioned this to you during a previous podcast or before we started recording or whatever. But I I wonder, well, does it have something to do with the fact that the same person, you know, two copies of the Uh same person can't be in that close a proximity? I knew you were definitely going to pick up on that. (laughs) Because, yes, the guy took a bullet through the eyeball. Yeah. And, And that's not a small thing. I get that. On the other hand, they have 2053 medical technology. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering it if seems that- like he's doing okay up until the point where Gabriel walks up to the, you know, up up to the 
plastic or whatever, right? Yeah. So, the and the other thing that we see later, you know, you know, when when we see him going through, and and it, and it almost, you know, the, the, there's that shimmering effect, and then it almost looks like his body is splitting apart. And that you wonder, well, okay, does this mean there are multiple copies? Did one copy go to 1890? Did one go to 41? Did one go to 23? Or are these just all at different times? And, um, you know, that's, I guess, something we'll speculate, you know. No, uh, he he goes to all the different places at once. I can't remember why that happens, but Mm -hmm. yeah. But then, of, of course, it begs the question, why is his 2053 self not dead like the others is it that he was found more quickly that you know the the in the other three cases he was alive when he went through and just right you know nobody found him to get him to medical attention i guess we don't i don't recall that we find that out i'm not sure either that's another thing to look forward to See, it's nice to actually watch them, but still, like, not 100% remember everything. So you're, like, kind of like, oh, okay. Like, there's still some things that will, they will necessarily be surprises, but they're things that, uh, questions that I still have that I can't remember the answers to. And, and then he tells her, uh, Maplewood, that is, that the body in the morgue is Defoe from the future two days from now and you know the Mannix is afraid they're going to erase our progress destroy our whole world and, and, and of course the thing that that we come to learn is that Defoe is time traveling to stop Mannix right uh yes so why does he lie to Maplewood about not really knowing what's going on is it just that he doesn't trust her yet at this point that he doesn't know if she's on side with right. Mannix? right well, well he, you know again we have to understand that the foe that we hear we see here he is obviously you know part of the what do they call it the uh, chapel perilous chapel perilous right he's totally part of that but he doesn't know what happened so he obviously probably has a pretty good idea of what has happened when he sees his own body there. So, yeah, so he doesn't, un, unlike Harker slash Mannix, you know, he's not privy to how everything plays out. Now, it, it, we get the idea, again, unless I misheard something, which is entirely possible, this is not a naturally occurring time portal. It's something that Defoe has actually invented or created or whatever. Uh, no, I think they found it, right? I th- oh. it isn't, it's, I, if I, so it's along the lines of what we see in Dark, perhaps? I that, think. That, Ish. That the explosions create those. Okay. Yeah, right. that there's so, like so, something, un, like, I, 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 you know, maybe I we'll should find go it ahead out. and watch yeah. the rest as well, but. But yeah, I, 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 my, my spidey sense is telling me that it was something that they discovered. Okay. See, see, I'm doing like the well. What would Wayne do? Oh, Wayne would just go ahead and watch them all. Yep. So, you need what? What would Wayne do? Norm, so, normally, normally, yeah. There, there you go. You know, Mannix orders Iris to find Chapel Perilous and the time machine. So, you know, so, so uh, in, in those terms. You know, you understand that that Defoe's reluctant to, I, I, I guess, trust her or sure. whatever. Well, especially if she's a cop, you know, he has absolutely yeah, right, right, no right. reason at all to trust her, and and must only assume that, um, you know, Mannix is you know has assigned her to do this. So right, uh, and then 1941 with Whiteman and the young girl Esther. And, you know, Polly telling Whiteman, take care of her permanently. And he takes her out to the woods. And, you know, before that, she opens the glove compartment and finds the chloroform. And, and, you know, there's that struggle. And we're like, all right, we knew this guy was evil. Not sure we realized he was that evil. Yeah. He went from being like a roguish type character to being something like, 
Ah, uh, dude, you you've totally crossed the line. Right, but we've seen him kill people. But right. obviously, killing an ex-con is not at the same level as killing an eleven or twelve-year-old girl who's yeah. lost her parents. Apparently, yeah. at least, of course, we don't even know what to believe out of that. Well, um, but I mean, when you know. she says how her brother and her mother, she doesn't say anything about them when he asks about them. So it's like, right? You know, that seems like a pretty genuine reaction there. Right, but when Polly tells him, "Don't pretend you don't have the stomach for it." That's why we chose you. And on the one hand, that's what we pay you for. He, you know, we know money is important. And you know, when he tells Esther that he's got to go to, you know, his mother's house to get his money, that's where he keeps it. I think the first time I thought, oh, come on, what is that all about? On the other hand, we assume he's making a fair amount of money for his involvement sure. with with Polly and and look, Polly and this group I guess Harker is on his deathbed at this point money is no object they probably have so much money they don't know what to do with it so I'm assuming he's probably got a nice little stash at his mother's house and maybe he keeps it there because he figures well no one would think to look there but then when we see him in the woods and he's dug the grave and she's in the grave and and yeah he fires the gun and I again I looked to see well does he like move the gun to where it's obvious he's not shooting her and no he doesn't well of course we know he doesn't shoot her but when I first watched it I thought he did like, I'm like yeah man like you have like I said you just that the character at that point it just crossed a line for me and. I was like, this guy has just become completely hateable. And then, okay. uh, but they didn't leave us dangling too long with that. You know, they kind of, well, why doesn't Polly know that Whiteman didn't kill the girl? Well, I think she does. Okay. That's the thing. Like, and that's, that. that's then again, this whole crazy thing of like, there's actually free will involved here. Right. And they're. They're counting on people, even though they know Whiteman, they know the decisions he's going to make. And they are, you know, and that decision is they're, they're, he's being pushed to killing Polly and, and Julian Harker, right? Right. Um, and they must know this. Like, like Harker knows everything that's going on. He's been recording all these, all these albums to tell himself. So he, he knows exactly what's going to happen. So I, you know, why? Yeah, well, again, I guess their deaths, I guess, I, you know, I, I serve as maybe motivation for the, you know, they know they're going to die anyway. So they need to die in a way, I guess that they're going to motivate the troops for the next, uh, 70 years. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's yeah, that's no, that's just kind of thing that kind of blows my mind yeah. about this because you're right. Like clearly, she knows he doesn't do it because she's the one who has to kill the girl. Like she kills the girl herself, which is then going to push Whiteman to you know get exact revenge by killing her and and Julian. <laughs> then why that needed to happen, I can't really remember and everything. Um, Except for to, you know, I, I and again, this, um, there, you know, there's the, the, the fact of Julian's regret, like now that he's dying, right. That he's regretting like the whole thing. And I think he records something yeah, now, now, like, now well, maybe that's I where he's, right. yeah, he's recording all the records that, but, that, but the, doesn't he make the decision to record something basically to tell himself, Hey, don't do it. This sucks. Like, I feel like he makes that recording, but then I don't know if that actually gets passed on to himself in the future. Yeah, I see. I can't remember now. I've got a couple episodes to go. Um, yeah, well, you got to finish up so you can tell me all this stuff. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> but it's just now, so it's just so crazy. Like the whole thing, it's just so bendy and twisty and everything. And there's like you know plots within plots and everything. And you know, and it's it's tough to you know. We just know that everything that the know you are loved crew is doing is to create this, this utopia or actually dystopia, I guess that we see in 2053. Um, so, you know, I guess everything that 
is engineered towards that end. And so all this stuff that happened before has to happen again or will always happen. You know? Yeah. And that, I guess that's the interesting thing. Is it a dystopia when people like Iris's brother consciously make that choice to live as he lives? What does it mean to, you know, making air quotes, sell out to KYAL? Uh, we don't really know. So it's, it's, you know, I guess that's another fascinating thing I, I, I see about that time period. But the final scene in this episode, talk about things that, I, I again, maybe we get the answer in the last two episodes that I'll hopefully rewatch in the next day or so. Why does Hillinghead think to carve his name in the brick ostensibly for Hassan to find? Of course, he doesn't mm-hmm. know Hassan. How could he? Right. And then why does she think to look for it? Yeah. And, and actually, kind of what I was kind of thinking is, did, did she not see it? Was it not there the first time she was there? And then now it, it is. Because it kind of like, you know how she's like, she's, we know she's been in that alcove before. Sure. But obviously it's easily she could have missed that, right? And then this time she just notices it. Um of course they play. I mean obviously it was there before. But but yeah, exactly. Why did because again Hillinghead is not it quote unquote in on it, right? Right. Um and he just knows that there's something really super off with this enough that he is actually just recording his name next to the image like that that shows up on the the forearm of time travelers you know and that obviously then Hassan is now going to go back and and now two of our detectives now know that you know that the body has you know actually no it's just her that cuz Elias tells her that the bodies have you know, showed up before in time. And so now she has a case to go back to and, uh, you know, she's, you know, has a chance to crack this open and figure out what's actually going on. Right. Well, she goes down into the archive and she, she accesses the file from 1890 and she sees the pictures and, you know, the guy, the archivist says, Hey, will you think that's something? I got another one. And he pulls out the 1941. Right. Right file so yeah um and and maybe that's what prompts her but but again i i don't know um yeah all right what else you know well you know alfie and you know and uh henry finally you know get it on that you know we probably saw that happening uh you know like almost from the first time uh that they met I thought it was interesting as he is kind of walking. Well, first of all, that um, when he wakes up in the park or whatever, like the place that he goes to, he doesn't go home. He goes to Henry's house. Right. Right. Or it's apartment, whatever. So that's, you know, that's one thing obviously very telling there. Um, And then when he is leaving there and walking, I guess we don't know ultimately, I guess he's going home, but he stops by the, by the alcove to carve his name into the bricks, you know, people, as he walks by, you know, people like turn to look at him as he goes by. And I thought there's two things. Just, you know, there's nothing about him. Like, it's not like he's covered in mud or horse poop or something like that, that people would say, Oh, look at that. What a strange phenomenon. This guy walking down the street is right. So I kind of think it's, it's mostly a, a like a psychological representation of how he feels like, you know, as he's as he's walking down the street, he feels like, well, everyone knows what I just did. Everyone knows about me now. So I've, I've I interpret that more as like an internal, even though we, the viewers, see people turning around, and and even uh, Hillinghead can't see the people turning around, right? Because he, they turn as he passes them. So that's you know clearly supposed to be like literally happening but i just felt like it was more i felt representative of his you know kind of internal state at that moment okay makes sense yeah i think that's 
that's pretty much all I got, I think. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to listener feedback, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the miniseries Bodies, Season 1, Episode 3. Coming back to last week's podcast first, you were talking about, Dave, that you really wanted to watch Orphan Black Echoes, and that's a pity because in the US it will be available in 2024 only, whereas it's already being complete season uh, available in Australia via the streaming service Stan. So you can understand, I flew to Australia for a week holiday. Fortunately, I booked a hotel where they have this streaming service on their TV set. And I spent a week uh, watching the whole series five times. And then I flew back home. And you understand that one of my good intentions for 2024 is stop lying. I think the series is great. Of course, I'm biased, but on the other hand, because I'm such a fan of the first Orphan Black series, five seasons, ten episodes each, I'm also quite critical. And in the beginning, I had to get used to this new series. Music, I already said, is cool. It's the same composer as for the first series. And getting into the series, it is more and more becoming a old-fashioned orphan black feeling and one of the things i like about it is the kind of tension that is in there and the kind of science that is in there that is quite similar but you need to have seen a few episodes to really realize that i also finished the shannara chronicles season one and two and that's a pity that there isn't a third season i like that very much although i didn't see game of thrones yet it seems to be, if you read stuff about it, a kind of Game of Thrones light version. More family-friendly, for sure. So, having finished Orphan Black Echoes and The Shannara Chronicles, I just picked up an old series where I got stuck, and that's Sanctuary, of course, with Amanda Tapping as Dr. Helen Magnus. I got stuck at Season 3, Episode 18. So, I will do the last few episodes of Season 3. And then still having 13 episodes of season 4 ahead. Okay, getting into Bodies, episode 3. First question I have is about the seance of Lady Harper. When they write down on this paper the name of the deceased guy, his real name came out of that, namely Defoe. Does this mean that Lady Harper knows everything? And this is just a hoax? Or is the seance real? Or why did they do that? Next question was, did your son order the murder? Or is guilty of the murder? The answer was no. No, her real son didn't do it. Who has done it? And then the seance writing thing started to write M.A., so the beginning of Mannix. So why giving this policeman all this kind of information? Although... It's all about future people, the foe as well as Mannix. So it's not going to help his 1890 police work. I want to talk about the actor who plays Elias, uh, Gabriel Howell. He has quite dark eyes. And we see here in Elias that he has very weird, almost fluorescent blue outpopping eyes. Very strange. And it's not like that they wanted to match it with uh, the adult Mannix or Commander Mannix. Uh, for the color, perhaps, but I find it a very strange kind of prominent irises. Actually, a kind of scary. And I looked up who plays the young Polly Hillinghead, and that is Zinoff Carlson. And when I looked her up, I saw a picture of Kaylee Haas, who is actually one of the lead characters in Orphan Black Echoes. So what did they do together? They played in the series The Midwich Cuckoos. And that is actually a series, I didn't see it, but it sounds interesting. Uh, IMDb says, a small village in England is completely subdued by an alien presence for an entire day. Upon wakening, it is discovered that numerous women of the town are pregnant. Well, that could be an interesting story. 
and supernatural sci-fi like. First, I got the impression that Alfred Hillinghead and uh, Henry had, well, sex or whatever. They were in bed together after he was tranquilized. But there was an earlier scene where Henry helped Alfred to get his tie back in the right order. So that suggests that he was undressed before. It's just a minor detail, but it indicates that the relationship already went on a little earlier than I thought. And I found it a pity that we had already seen Esther, that she survived the so-called killing by Charles Whiteman. He didn't kill her at all, he only chloroformed her. For my taste, they showed a little too early that she was still alive. That suspense, they could have done that over two episodes. By the way, the interaction between those two was done very nicely. Okay, that will be all. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Hello to Dave, Wayne and everyone listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Alan from England here, mostly with feedback about episode 3 of Bodies. What else I'm watching, I just started watching Outlander Season 1. I'm really enjoying this Highlander in Reverse series, especially as my mother was a Mackenzie from Scotland, and so I recognised their motto and some other aspects. I could in fact wear the Mackenzie clan tartan if I really wanted. I don't have any intention of doing so, but if I wanted. Regarding the comments of the use of uh, CCTV in the UK... We simultaneously view it with suspicion and completely forget about it most of the time. A bit like contestants in a reality TV show. Quite some years ago, the government of the day were thinking about bringing in ID cards for people that didn't have driving licenses or didn't have passports to access various services. And this caused so much upset that they immediately had to back down again. And that reminds me, I knew a British guy who'd been on holiday in the States and was asked for ID uh, for some reason, and said, no, we don't routinely carry ID, because we live in a free country. You can imagine how well that went down, or not. But really, I think there's many countries in the world which we might view as being more restrictive or authoritarian, but safer on the streets, and some which we view as more uh, free and libertarian, but where crime is higher. I guess we all see ourselves as somewhere in the middle. Talking of crime, bodies, all in good time. This week the titles show a D in bodies turning into a scratchy kind of D, which I eventually worked out was probably the D from the seance about the name of the deceased Defoe, which momentarily made me think that maybe the medium did have powers, but of course she could have got the name of Defoe and indeed Mannix from 2051 Mannix, now 1890 Harker. 1890 Hillinghead is displaying some investigation technique whilst tracking down Harker, although that doesn't really go well in the end. I'm sure there's guidance about not accepting drinks from the prime suspect, and so he is, and indeed feels, massively compromised. And of course then that makes reference to his statement in a previous episode of, well why would you take pictures of such things? 2023 Hassan is tracked down herself by Elias, who definitely confirms he doesn't know much about what's going on and is being manipulated by the Morleys. I noticed near the end that as Elias is led into that police van alone, it reminds us of the 1890 episode 1, where that other young boy was also being led off to prison, but at least he had his mother to go with him. Elias doesn't. He is not at all loved up until this point. 2051 Defoe Prime sees Defoe 2051 victim just long enough to see him turned into 2051 body, and so he realises his time is almost up. 1941 Whiteman is under pressure from that girl's potential evidence, but he won't kill her even to say himself. That's a step too far. That girl actor is really pretty good, by the way, as he switches between a sweet facade and streetwise manner. Finally, we get the connection made between Hillinghead and Hassan. As Hassan finds that symbol and Hillinghead's name scratched on that brick in Long Harvest Lane. I don't know why it appears to have such an impression on her at this point, 
but it will lead to developments in their investigation next episode. Take care. Alan from England. All right. Um, Fred from the Netherlands. You know, we, we mentioned the thing about the seance, how you know, the MA is Maplewood, not Mannix. Um, and he brings up the, the eye color thing, which is certainly interesting and not surprising that, that Fred picks up on something like that. But, you know, you were just talking about Hillinghead and Ash and, and their first encounter. And Fred brings up, you know, that scene where Henry helps him with his necktie. And we're thinking, oh, wait a minute, have they already had sex? We didn't realize they had at that point. Uh, because what else would explain that? So, yeah, Fred, I'm, I was a little confused with the order of events. Yeah. Well, suggested by that i think just with the necktie is you know alfred alfie is just like he's not ready to go there you know it is an intimate moment but he's not ready for it right he's still kind right. of fighting it um and then and then at the beginning of fred's feedback obviously fred it's virtually impossible to match the performances by Tatiana and Maslany in the original Orphan Black, but I haven't seen it yet, but I have a good feeling that Kristen Ritter, who we know as Jessica Jones, will do just fine and, and has done just fine. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that as well. And then Alan in England, uh, glad you're enjoying Outlander. You haven't started. Outlander I have not yet. yet no. Okay. One of the fascinating aspects about Outlander is watching Claire, the main character, struggle with knowing when to impart future knowledge without coming across as a witch, because, you know, this is like the 1600s and, and, you know, you see it time and time again. And, and, and she's a, a medical doctor in the future and, and she struggles with, well, you know, if I do this, I can save this person's life, but I shouldn't be able to do this at mm -hmm. this time period. So, um, Alan, keep me posted on how you're doing. And then of course, thank you for the update regarding CCTV in the UK. Right. And that was, uh, you know, really funny what, what uh, he says about his friend that was visiting right. in America. Yeah. I'm sure that did not go over well at all. <laughs> yeah. Anything else about uh, either of their feedbacks? You know, I, I just didn't really talk much about, but Alan has says here, and I agree, like how great the the actress is who plays the 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 kid, and and you know, we see her like being kind of sweet and innocent in front of uh, all the police officers, and then you know that very streetwise manner she accepts, uh, she or puts on with um, with Whiteman. You know, and uh, the the way he also speaks back to her is like they both know the score. Um, that's why it was so like you know like we could see that there was definitely. You, when I say something between them, I don't mean like that. Word, I know yeah. what you mean. Sure, you know, that yeah. <coughs> that they had some kind of relationship here. You know that they understood each other. That they were kindred spirits, kind of. Uh, so when we think that he killed her, that made it even more of a betrayal. And then when we find out he didn't actually kill her, then we're like, ah, okay, all right. You're all right, Whiteman. You know, I knew you wouldn't do that, buddy, you know, so. Right, because I think we know that he's ready to at least temporarily become the father slash adult figure that Esther needs at this point, no matter how tough she thinks she is. Like he tells her, listen, I don't. Like, I, I got better things to do. Like, you are the one who showed up at the police department. You're the one who put, you know, yourself in, in, the, in the scopes, basically, here. You know? And I'm just trying to keep you safe. And that, that's right. He's got no reason to keep her alive. You know? Probably things would be easier for him had he killed her. But he's making, like we said, again, it's all about decisions right like all of these police officers all the people involved Mannix himself they they are have to make a decision to do what the you know what the right thing is and that's what he does yep and she will be making things more difficult 
down the road. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, I, I feel like we should just like acknowledge now that each episode gets an A. Yeah. And, and move on from that. This one, I don't think this one moved quite as well as like the others. You know, it seemed like the pacing was a little bit slower with this one, but it was fine though. I, you know, I'd like to still still give it the A. Well, I think what happened here is they spent so much more time in 1890 and 2023 right. that uh, the future and 1941, you know, didn't get as much. And I think we know from experience that, well, you know, coming up in the next episode, they'll probably get addressed a lot more. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm really enjoying this rewatch, as I know you are, and hopefully everybody out there in sci-fi TV rewatch land is as well. But that'll do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about bodies, anything going on in your genre, or just TV and movie world in general. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode four of the Netflix sci-fi thriller Bodies. But until then. All right, Dave. Another motto for the, the podcast, right? For the for the um, the homepage of the website. All right, hit me with All it. All right. They know things. Yeah? I like it.